Every once in a while I think I'd like to just cancel the sermon and let Michael play the piano for an hour. What a blessing. We're going to be talking about faith today, but uh, before we do, one of the things I'm going to be uh, talking with you about is how, how faith works uh, in our prayer. And I, I would like this morning to, to begin by lifting up a family in our community. I don't believe they, they attend here, but the, uh, the uh, Schoonmacher family and they, they lost their daughter, a 22-year-old Megan, who was killed in a snowmobile accident on Monday, I understand. And uh, you can imagine, those of you who are parents, uh, what grief they must feel, how their hearts must be broken. And, and I'd like to begin today just by lifting up that family, each of us individually, silent prayer, lift up that family to God and, and pray for his encouragement and comfort for them this week, and then I'll, I'll close this in just a moment. Lord, most of us haven't lost a child and uh, we can only imagine how difficult that must be. But uh, you watched your own son die and we know that uh, you can relate to the pain and the grief that this family must feel. We pray that, that uh, you would surround them with your love and your encouragement, that they would experience your presence and your peace in, in a way that... Uh, that is beyond human comprehension, that you'd comfort and, and encourage them in their loss as they, they grieve the loss of their daughter. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to spend a few minutes with you this morning on uh, faith and uh, a very practical application of uh, how faith works in our lives from day to day. What is faith? Where does it come from? What are some ways that uh, faith is important to us as believers as we make our way through life? And how can we increase our level of faith as uh, believers so that we're more powerful in prayer and so we're more productive in terms of uh, fruitfulness in our Christian lives? You know, the, the disciples had the same question of Jesus in Luke 17. They asked, how can we increase our faith? They said, Lord, increase our faith. And I'd like to read a passage out of out of Luke to begin with, Luke 17, 5 and 6, and then, and then uh, 11 through 19. It's not because the intervening verses aren't important, but uh, they're, they're not exactly on point for what we want to talk about this morning, so we're going to skip a few verses in there. But beginning at verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. A mulberry tree, by the way, I learned, is one of the most deeply rooted trees of all trees. So if there were a tree that would be impossible to uproot, it would be a, a mulberry tree. And then as Jesus often did, a after he gave them some information about faith and the importance of faith in their lives, he provided an object lesson for them. And wouldn't you know, ten lepers came walking down the road at that very moment. In verse 11, we pick up the story. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he'd been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. So first, the, the uh, disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith. And then we have ten lepers come along as an object lesson for those disciples. And then Jesus says to one of those lepers after he heals him that your faith has made you well. So obviously, faith is, is something 
that's important to us in, in a Christian life and a, a concept we need to understand. So, so what is faith anyway? Well, that question was asked in a, in a boy's Sunday school class uh, some time ago, and one little boy piped up and, and said, uh, faith is uh, believing something you know isn't true. <laughs> you know, we, we can chuckle about that, but if you think about it, that, that uh, pretty well in, uh, uh, summarizes the, much, the way much of the world feels about faith and spiritual matters in general, that, that there, there's real knowledge over here, there's scientific knowledge over here, and, and then there's matters of faith over here that we relegate to somewhere uh, near uh, Santa Claus and the, and the Easter Bunny. Of course, we look at things, we look at things differently. Wikipedia, the, the uh, resource on uh, definitions for all things spiritual, says that uh, faith is the confident belief or trust in the truth or trustworthiness of a person, concept, or thing. Actually, that's not too bad. That's a good start, anyway, as to what faith is. Notice that this definition of faith is not just applicable to spiritual matters, isn't it? Is it? That, that we exercise faith from moment to moment every day of our lives as, as, we, uh, as we live out our lives. We have faith, for example, that when we write a check that the bank will actually deliver those funds to the, the payee, assuming we have funds in the bank. We, we, on our way over here this morning, we uh, have, have a measure of faith in the other drivers on the road that that somebody won't all of a sudden decide to disregard the rules of the road and decide to drive on our side of the road and, and hit us head on. We have, we have faith that that, that that will not occur. We have faith in cert, certain natural laws of the universe because we've got a lot of experience with them. For all our lives, the law of gravity has been effect, in, in effect. And, and we have faith that when we step out of our house tomorrow morning that we won't hurtle off into the universe with all our possessions. We have faith that the law of gravity will, will still be in effect. And I might have faith in you that if I invite you to lunch, that you would actually show up. Now, I could increase that level of faith by offering to buy. <laughs> My point is that faith isn't some weird supernatural concept. Uh, it, is, it is not necessarily unique to our spiritual lives. We already exercise faith in many aspects of, of our life. And notice also that our, our level of faith is related to our level of knowledge about and uh, trust in the various objects of faith that I mentioned. The bank, the other drivers on the road, um, the law of gravity, for example. When we have a lot of knowledge about and experience with something, we tend to have more faith in that, don't we? Let me ask you a question about faith. Uh, just because we have faith in something, even a strong and sincere faith in something, does that necessarily mean that the object of our faith is reliable? No. Is it possible to believe something strongly and have that something be not true? Absolutely. And we've all had some experience with that. You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there about faith and, and how it works and, and what uh, people in the world mean by faith is often very different than, than what we understand about faith from, from Scripture. The most frequently heard assumption that, that, uh, that I hear about faith is, well, if I'm just sincere about my faith, if I'm just sincere in my beliefs, as long as I have a strong faith in something, I think that will, will carry me. Uh, a young woman said to me recently, uh, well, it, you know, I'm a, I'm a very, I've always been a very spiritual person. And her her life was uh, a mess, and she acknowledged that. And I, I said, well, how's that working out for you? And uh, we had an opportunity to talk further uh, about that and about the claims of Christ. Uh, some people, too, will say, well, I have faith in the fact that I'm a pretty good person. And um, my response to that is always, well, you know, God doesn't grade on the curve. It, this isn't math class. Uh, there's an absolute standard of righteousness that God grades on, and none of us meet it. Faith is always related to the object of our faith. If, if one of you, for example, would, would say to me, uh, Gary, you know, I've got a lot of confidence in you. I've known you for a long time. And um, I was told recently that, unfortunately, I need to have 
brain surgery. And I believe that you're the best person to do it. In fact, I have absolute faith and confidence in you and I would like you to perform this brain surgery. Now, although I have a fine collection of DeWalt power tools, <laughs> and, I, and I'm a fair amateur carpenter, I would say to you that uh, if you put your faith and trust in, in me and I perform your brain surgery, no good will come of it. <laughs> you put your faith in, in the wrong object of faith. We have folks here who could probably do that brain surgery, but I'm not one of them. Faith, faith always has to be related to a reliable object of faith, otherwise it's, it's misplaced. A number of years ago, I was, uh, one of my, my first career was with the state police, and I was part of a specialized team uh, during my time with the state police, and one of the, as I went through training to be a, become a part of that team, one of the things that I had to learn was rappelling. Some of you perhaps have done that. Some of you, if, if you're rock climbers, for example, You've, uh, you've repelled. But repelling is descending from a height on a rope. And it can be down the face of a cliff or it can be uh, down the face of a building or it can be descending from something like a, a helicopter onto the, the top of a building, which was what we were doing. And I, I have to tell you that I really dreaded that part of the training. It was my least favorite part because I was the kind of guy that liked to keep my feet on the ground. And I, I didn't really like heights that much at all. And, and in fact, I, I was kind of praying that there would be thunderstorms on the day when those choppers were supposed to show up because I, I didn't really want to repel. And uh, unfortunately, God had other plans. It was a clear, sunny day. The, the choppers showed up, and I found myself up in the air. And these were kind of bare-bones uh, helicopters. They, they, weren't, they weren't pretty. They were old, old military Hueys, and they didn't have any seats, and just a deck with both doors open. They were horrendously noisy. And uh, we found ourselves up in the air, and, and as uh, there would be a person descending, there were teams of us, and there were people descending out of each, each uh, side of the chopper. And I, I should tell you, too, that I, I was 27 years old, but I, I had never been up in an aircraft before in my life. And, and I always thought it ironic that the first time I ever went up in an aircraft, they would ask me to get out in midair. <laughs> So, so I was increasingly apprehensive as the, as the moment approached and I watched other people go out of the chopper and this thing's just pitching and bucking and as the, as the pilot's trying to keep it level with the horizon. And, and the, the noise is horrendous. And I became more and more nervous until my time came and the rappel master, this big sergeant, Tom Hunt, rappel master was facing me. He hooked me up, hook, hooked up my harness to the rope and then he could see the fear and indecision in my eyes. I felt like I was at that point where I wanted to say, can't we talk about this? You know, or are you sure that rope goes all the way to the ground? And he just looked at me, and over the roar of that helicopter, he yelled at me, Gary, trust the rope. Trust the rope. And I did. Now he said, now get out on the skid. So I, I got out on the skid, and although I was terrified at the top, by the time I hit the bottom... I found it exhilarating. And, and from then on, I, I really enjoyed it. And now I'm the kind of guy that likes to ride on roller coasters and do those kinds of things. I can tell you that repelling out of a helicopter is an instantaneous and, and permanent cure for the fear of heights. <laughs> My point in that story is that uh, Tom, when I was fearful, Sergeant uh, Tom Hunt directed me to the object of my faith, which needed to be that rope. The fact that he believed in that rope, the fact that I had seen several other people use that rope to get to the ground safely, and then finally, the fact that I was able to use that rope to get to the, to the ground safely, that strengthened my faith in that rope. And I believed in that rope after that, that that, that rope would get me safely from that helicopter to the ground. The object of our faith makes all the difference in the world. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only object of faith that matters. And you will and I have run into people who 
sincerely believe. I had someone say to me the other day, well, you know, they sincerely believe that. I said, well, that's fine, but they sincerely believe the wrong thing. People in our world who sincerely believe a whole smorgasbord of spiritual beliefs, religious beliefs, they all have a different object of their faith. And they all have one more thing in common, and that is that unless they come to Christ as the object of their faith, they'll spend eternity in hell. And, and that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says. That's what Jesus himself said. So what is faith then for us as believers in Christ? What is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1, uh, crystallizes that for us where it says, faith is the, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The old King James Version says the evidence of things not seen. The Greek word for faith here means a, a state of certainty with regard to belief a state of certainty with regard to belief. And, and a, the word assurance here refers to the grounds for that certainty. And, and what it alludes to is a pledge or a token uh, that guarantees that certainty. And hoped for, in, in, uh, in modern uh, parlance, hoped for would be wishful thinking, right? Uh, in common usage. Hoped for would be wishful thinking or would be something we, we think would be nice if it happened. Well, in... Uh, in this Greek word, hoped for, is the attitude to looking forward to something that is a certainty, a trusting, confident hope, something that's anticipated as a certainty, looking forward to it in the, in the future. And that last word, conviction of things not seen, that's, that's why the King James uses the word evidence, because the word evidence and, and conviction are, are used synonymously here in a legal sense. In a, in a courtroom, you need a, a certain amount of evidence in order to sustain a conviction. Well, it's used in a legal sense here that uh, faith provides the evidence, if you will, uh, that something is true. And, and so faith is the assurance or the certainty of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you read Hebrews 11, you'll find that there's a whole list of uh, heroes of faith where uh, you can see how people lived out faith in, uh, in uh, their lifetime before God. And as God confirms our faith through the Holy Spirit in our, in our experience uh, with him, uh, our, our faith will increase as well. It will become the certainty or the proof that, uh, that uh, God is the object of our faith and that he's indeed trustworthy and, and reliable. Paul uses an example in one of those heroes of faith that is Abraham in, in Romans uh, 4, 17 through 25. There's a passage about Abraham and the choice that Abraham had to make whether to believe God or, or believe what he saw. He says, as it is written, a father of many nations, he's referring to Abraham here, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. If you wonder if, if God is great, that phrase ought to, ought to do it for you. God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which did not exist. In hope against hope, he believes so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Abraham had a choice to make, didn't he? He had a choice to make between what he knew on a natural level. He knew very well that he and Sarah were well beyond childbearing years and that there was no way in human terms that, they, that he was going to father a child anymore. That, that hope was gone on a human level. But God had told him, had said to him, Abraham, your descendants are going to outnumber the stars. They're going to outnumber the grains of the sand on the seashore. They're going to be that numerous. And so Abraham had a choice, and he believed God. He said uh, he was fully assured that what God had promised he was also able to perform. What God promises in our lives, friends, he, he is able to perform. 
He is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being those things which did not exist. Did you notice too that Abraham believed God? He gave glory to God before it actually happened. Before Sarah became pregnant, he gave glory to God for what had happened. He, he believed in a way that was expectant. He expected God to act. He was convinced of it. And this is exactly what Paul means in 2 Corinthians 5.7. You've heard the expression, we walk by faith, not by sight. In, in 2 Corinthians 5.7, Paul says, for, for we walk by faith and not by sight. That's exactly what he means. We're faced with those kinds of choices. Do we believe what God says or do we believe what is true in our experience? Or do we believe what Satan is telling us in some cases? We need to believe what God says. We need to walk by faith and see with those, those eyes of faith. Well, where does faith come from? Good question. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is, um, is a verse that leaps to mind. And what it says is, uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. And sometimes that is used to show that faith is given to us by God as if we have to wait for God to drop that on us and then, then we'll believe. I think that's incorrect. The, the Greek scholars will tell you that, that the, uh, the words that is, referring to the gift, is the gift of our salvation, not the gift of faith, not the gift of grace. Certainly grace is a gift. Uh, but we have a responsibility for faith as well. And the Holy Spirit collaborates with us to generate faith in our lives. But faith comes to us in, an, in another way. <clears throat> in uh, Romans 10, 17, Paul tells us, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts to generate faith in response to, to hearing the word of God. Some of you think back to uh, when you became believers and, and how that worked, how you became aware of the truth about Jesus Christ and, and uh, when it was revealed to you that that was indeed truth and that you could believe that and put your trust in it. Paul says in uh, uh, a great example of that, uh, one I love is in Acts 10, where uh, we've got the Roman centurion. And uh, if you remember, he was a devout man, not a believer, but a devout man who was supportive of the, the Jewish faith. And uh, he called... He called to Peter in another town and said, Peter, I want you to come down here and, and talk to us. Would you please come down here and talk to us about Jesus? Because I've heard about Jesus, and, and I'd like to hear the gospel. Peter stiff-armed him for a bit because, after all, they were Gentiles. It was a Jewish. Uh, they saw that, uh, the gospel as exclusive to the Jews at that time. But God came to Peter and said, get down to Joppa. I need you to talk to this centurion. So Peter went down there, and he, he's going through his sermon. Acts 10 is the... Uh, the sermon that Peter gave in front of the centurion and his family and, and probably a large crowd of people that he had gathered in his, in his home. And, and verses 43 and, and 44 make the point. Of him, uh, this is Peter preaching, he says, of him, and he's referring to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. You see, they heard the good news. Faith was generated in their hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit, and they came to Christ right there. And the Holy Spirit confirmed that, uh, made it evident that these people were, had become children of God right, right before him. Now, Peter could have said, well, hey, wait a minute, I had a couple more points to finish here. But God was ready, and God knew where they were in terms of their hearts, and he, and he confirmed that they had come. So they heard the good news and the Holy Spirit used it to, to generate faith. Well, you know, we're commanded to have faith and we're also commanded to ask God in faith to meet our needs. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Mark 11, 22 through 24, Jesus says, first of all, have faith in God. We need to view that as a command. He says, have faith in God. And, and then he, he says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you've received them, and they will be granted you. Folks, you need to circle that verse. You need to put a, 
marker on that in your Bible. That's God's promise to you, that he will give you what you need if you just ask him. We have to take the initiative. Notice there, we have to take the initiative. Uh, Having faith is not something that uh, God does for us. He helps us strengthen our faith, but it is something we have to choose to do. Just as Abraham chose to believe, so we have to choose to believe what God tells us about about our own life with him and the transformation that's taken place in in our lives. Notice also here that... uh, the Lord commands us to ask expectantly in the faith that he'll answer and, and to act obediently in the expectation that he'll deliver what we've asked him. You notice with these 10 lepers, think back to uh, Luke 17 here, the 10 lepers, uh, did Jesus heal them right off the bat when they cried out to him? Uh, Lord, did, did he heal them instantaneously while they were standing there? What, did he, what command did he give them? Go show yourselves to the priest, right? When were they healed? On the way, thank you. They were healed on the way to show themselves to the priest. He could have healed them right out of the gate. And they would, we'd be just standing there healed. But no, he said, I want you to obey. As a matter of faith, I want you to obey. So go down and see the priest. On the way, they were healed. And, and what did he say about how they were healed? When the one came back with gratitude, fell on his face and worshiped, What did Jesus say to him? Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Faith has the power to do that. They they acted in obedience and and God delivered. Well, what are some ways that faith is important to us as believers in our daily lives? Well, first of all, without strong faith, we're going to live defeated lives as uh, as Christians and we will not be able to please God. Hebrews 12.6 says, that we can't please God without faith. Uh, The writer says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In other words, if you ask God, but you don't believe that he's going to respond to your prayer, uh, that's doubt, and he's not going to answer that prayer. Faith expressed in, in prayer is the mechanism that God uses that he's provided to us to leverage a spiritual power, that is power in the spiritual realm, to leverage that spiritual power and bring that down to affect events and people and circumstances here on earth. He makes that available to us. In Ephesians 3.20 is a great, not the only example, but a great example of the power that is promised to us where he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What a great promise. Unlimited power available to us if we will just ask God for that power. Joyce Meyer in her book, uh, a great book that I'd recommend, by the way, The Power of Simple Prayer, she puts it this way. When we have power, we're able to pray expectantly. But at the same time, expectancy carries its own kind of power, the power of hope, the power of faith. God's power is released when we pray in faith, trusting and believing him because faith pleases him. Expectancy is an attribute of faith. Faith reaches out into the spiritual realm and expects God's supernatural power to show up and do what no person on earth could do. Doubt, on the other hand, is afraid nothing good will happen. It does not please God and is not something he tends to bless. We're powerless when we live with doubt, disappointment, and a lack of confidence with God. You know, uh, so many of our prayers are what I call mamby-pamby prayers. You know, we throw them out there. And, you know, we have to even have that expression, on a prayer, you know, as if it's a long shot. Well, it isn't a long shot at all with God. Uh, That's not what he intends for us. He says, I've given you uh, not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of boldness and power and self-control. That's how he expects us to ask him for things in prayer. Well, we need faith to uh, understand and accept by faith our position as believers in Christ as well. What happened to us when we came to faith? Romans 6 has a great explanation of that 
in, uh, first of all, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're told that we've become new creatures when we came to Christ. Those folks who in uh, Acts 10, who came to Christ, who came to faith at that moment, they became immediately transformed into new creations. They were different. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. We have to accept that as a matter of faith. Paul explains in detail what goes into that. Okay, what does that mean, new things have come? Well, he explains that in Romans 6. He goes into it in detail. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with, with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin." Now that we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. That is a matter of faith, folks. Do you believe that your experience was bound up as God says, with that of Christ. When Christ died and was buried, your old person died with him. If you've come to faith in Christ, your new person is alive in Christ and available to serve as an instrument of righteousness empowered by the Holy Spirit and God himself. That's where we are in Christ. We need to see that by faith. That's not, not something you can see on a natural, revel, uh, not a natural level. That comes to you as a revolution, uh, revolution a revelation from God. Last part, Paul says, <laughs> you think I'm getting too excited? <laughs> uh, then Paul says, okay, so what are you going to do about it? And, and the last part of this is, therefore, how do we change our lives then as a result of those truths that were taught? Well, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. That's the newsflash here, that we don't have to live as we always lived because we have a different power for living now. We can, we can let Jesus Christ live through us. And that's what Paul tells us in uh, Galatians 2.20. We need faith to allow Christ to live out his life through us. Christ is available to do that for us. In Galatians 2.20, that's exactly what Paul says. That's exactly how he describes it works. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What that means in very practical terms is that uh, Jesus, we can surrender our our, our control of our lives to Jesus, and we can ask God to live through us in those situations that are, are beyond our capability uh, to live through. We all know someone who is difficult for us to love on a human level. Jesus Christ can love that person through you in a supernatural way uh, that you could not. And Jesus is available to live out his love, his patience, his humility, his holiness, his purity, his compassion, all the attributes of Christ are available to us if we ask him to live those out through, uh, by faith through our lives. A tremendous opportunity to live in a different way. The other thing that happens uh, when we turn our, our life over to Christ by faith in that way is that our spiritual senses become alive and, and we see things that we didn't see before. We see God work around us in our lives uh, in, a, in a way that we didn't see before. C.S. Lewis said that, the, the longtime um, atheist who was dragged into the kingdom of God, kicking and screaming, as he says. He says, uh, when he came to faith, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it 
I see everything else. You see? You see, you see with the eyes of faith that you did not have the ability to see before. God's given you a capability in Christ that you didn't have before. Well, we need faith to overcome worry and anxiety in the inevitable trials of life. A book that was written a number of years ago called um, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. I'll never forget the first three words in that book. He says, life is difficult. Life is difficult. And, and you know, he goes on to say that uh, sometimes we as Christians approach our lives as if uh, life should be easy. Now that we belong to Christ, God has an obligation to, to create a rosy existence for us. And there, there should be a freedom of pain and uh, he, he should be at our disposal to create custom, uh, comfort and convenience for us on a day-to-day basis. But I have to tell you that there's no support for that in Scripture. That that's not what Jesus tells us either. He says in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He didn't say, well, you might have a little inconvenience. You might hit a couple speed bumps on the way through life. No, he said, you will have trouble. Another promise of uh, God's care that we can claim in faith is is a great one that uh, you need to write down someplace and pray it back to God. It is Philippians 4, 6, and 7 where he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we can pray for the Schumacher family uh, right now. That's, that's what we can pray for the worries and the difficulties and the conflicts and the troubles that you will, you will encounter, if not yet today tomorrow when you head back into the the workplace and and the world. God promises us his peace if we will just turn those things over to him. You know, uh, a few weeks ago I was out in the front yard and um, I took my grandson Ethan out with me. Some of you know him. And uh, he's kind of a 100 mile an hour kid so I took him outside and uh, we were going to do a guy thing. We were going to cut down this shrub, this old shrub that we have out front and uh, we're going to use a power saw. Now relax, ladies, it wasn't a chainsaw, but it was a, uh, a reciprocating saw. You know, that was a little easier to control, so this little guy could control it. And uh, we cut down this shrub and knocked all the branches off it, and, and uh, he went back inside because that, the fun part was done. And so uh, I was left with the stump. And so I spent a few minutes digging around that stump, probably 20 minutes, digging around that stump with a spade, trying to get it out, trying to get through the roots and you know, my spade's banging off the roots, and I worked at it pretty hard for about 20 minutes. Then finally, I had an epiphany and realized that I had this four-wheel drive vehicle here and, and a large chain that I can just hook around that stump, and a, a couple minutes later, popped right out, obviously. There was no contest. And just then, uh, God hit me with an insight, and he said to me, Gary, how much of your, your life have you spent digging around stumps because you failed to connect to your source of power. You know, there have been so many times when I've stayed awake at night or I've fretted and worried about different things in life that I should have given over to God immediately. I tend to turn things into a do-it-yourself project and I'll come up with a million Rube Goldberg do-it-yourself fixes before that all fail and then finally I'll say, well, I guess I better pray about this. That's the way we approach it sometimes. God wants us to come to him first and we'll eliminate a lot of aggravation for ourselves and worry and, and uh, sleepless nights. Instead of, there are going to be troubles and difficulties that, that, uh, that happen to us folks. And, and Beth Moore is, is good about the way that she puts this in her teaching. Uh, she says that in, instead of when something happens to us, whether it's a flat tire or something far more serious, uh, that we need to ask, instead of asking, why me? As anybody out on the street would ask, why me? Why is this happening to me? Ask, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? What is it you're trying to teach me here? And be, be alert to the Holy Spirit's movement in, in your life. Well, we need faith to resist Satan's temptation as well and to protect us from the evil one. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, 
He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in what? Standing firm in the faith. Resist him because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Paul tells us too that in Ephesians 6, 14, he says the way that we're going to do that, the way that we're going to resist Satan is with the shield of faith. Remember he says, put up that shield of faith and it will stop the fiery darts that the enemy is going to throw at you. How does that work in, in practical terms? Well, we, we need to claim God's promises when we're tempted or when Satan's trying to intervene in our lives or destroy the work of God in our lives. We need to claim God's promises. One of those is in 2 Thessalonians 3.3 where it says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have God's promise of protection. That if we stop and say, Lord, I sense that Satan's trying to intervene here and trying to disrupt something of your work in my life, trying to tempt me in a way that you would not be pleased with and so on, we can ask God to intervene there and protect us from the evil one in that situation. There's a great promise also in with regard to temptation in 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul tells us how faith helps us to handle temptation. He says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you will be able to endure it. You see, God knows what you're going through at every moment. You can ask him, uh, to show you that way out, give you the insight and, and protect you from that temptation, deliver you from that temptation, and he will do that. Well, we need faith to be powerful, effective, and persevering in prayer. One of the positive outcomes of growing your faith is that your prayer is going to be more powerful and you're going to see more answers to your, your prayer. Now, God doesn't answer uh, every prayer in the way that we ask it, does he? In fact, uh, Ruth Graham uh, Billy Graham's uh, wife said, uh, if God had answered all my prayers, I would have married the wrong man seven times. <laughs> so, sometimes God knows better. He can see further down the road than, than we can. Uh, James 4, uh, 2 and 3, he tells us a couple reasons why prayers don't get answered. Number one, he says, uh, you do not have because you do not ask. Sometimes we just don't pray. We talk about praying a lot more than we pray. Or we talk about the problem with other people. Uh, Joyce Meyer in her book says, we need to learn to go to the throne before we go to the phone. <laughs> I, like, I like that. Uh, and and uh, James also says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So there are two barriers to answered prayer right there. But he gives us a primer too in chapter one about, about how to persevere in prayer. He says in, in uh, chapter one, Verses 2 through 8, consider it all joy, my brethren. You consider it joy when you uh, come into a trial, don't you? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Trial is a sign that God is doing something good in your life. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Notice that one of the things that we can ask God for is wisdom here. And this is not just wisdom in spiritual things. If you go into the workplace tomorrow and you have, you have to have a difficult conversation with an employee or with a manager, if you're going into a meeting on strategy and you don't know what you're going to do, you can stop and ask God for wisdom and he will give you wisdom and, and you will know how to proceed. God is, has told you that he will provide and he's interested in every aspect of our lives. In many cases, we don't see answers to prayers, especially when we're in trial. Sometimes when we get into a trial or some difficult situation in our lives happens to us, the first thing we say is, is, is why me? And we ask God to deliver us from it right away. And sometimes what God's intention is, is to develop. He's forming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And part of his intention is 
uh, to use that trial in our lives to build character and perseverance and patient endurance into our lives. And sometimes, think about this, sometimes when God doesn't answer your prayer right away, it is because he is trying to teach you patient endurance. He's trying to teach you to pray through to when that outcome comes. Sometimes we don't see answers to prayer, friends, because we don't pray long enough. This is, it's an aside, but uh, there, there was a, I did an elder interview with a physician uh, at, at uh, Trinity Church a number of years ago, a young man. He had been on a medical mission down in Guatemala. And he told me about an instance where uh, a group of friends brought up a man down from the mountains who had been uh, crippled for a long period of time. He hadn't walked for years and years. And, and he came to this uh, service that they were having and there were three pastors who gathered around him and began praying for him and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and he said they, they prayed for about three hours and this guy, keep in mind this guy's a physician I'm talking to and, and he said uh, the man got up and walked away. I said why don't we see things like that more often here and he said frankly Gary one reason is because you couldn't find three pastors that would pray that long over somebody here. There's some truth in that. You know, we're so impatient sometimes. We don't want to wait for God to provide the answer. And, and sometimes we need to, to persevere in, uh, in prayer. Uh, Chuck Swindoll says about uh, trials, he says, we're, we're faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. And, and God is standing ready uh, to help us resolve those impossible situations. Uh, a, a quick example, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, I was in the barber shop. I noticed that, uh, I sensed that my barber was uh, just uh, very discouraged. He's a, he's a young Christian man, a family guy. He's trying to live for the Lord. His barbershop is named his barbershop even. You know, he's, he's very upfront about the fact that he's a believer. But I sensed that he was very discouraged. And I asked him what uh, the issues were and well, his wife had a problem with pregnancy. She was in and out of the hospital 15 times and, and uh, his little six-year-old boy didn't want to go to school because he was afraid his mom wasn't going to be there when he came home. So his six-year-old was traumatized and he was trying to deal with that. And, and then he said, you know, and, and I haven't had the customers I, I need to have either and, and I, in order to make the business survive. And, and I said, Randy, I just sense that you're very discouraged. And I, You know, as he told me all this stuff, God was pressing on me that, Gary, you need to pray for him. You know, some guy, sometimes God wants us to pray for a particular person at a particular time because he, he wants us to release his power there. And, and I, I kind of pushed back on God, and I, I said, Lord, you know, there's a big plate glass window here. I mean, there are people driving by on this Road. What if somebody sees us? But uh, God pressed on me. And so I, when we were done, I said, Randy, why don't you let me pray for you in a minute? And I intended that we pray together, but it was more like me praying and him sobbing. You know, he... I put my hand on his shoulder and his shoulders just shook and the tears ran down his face. And, uh, and I, I left after that. I stopped back a week later and I said, Randy, um, how are things going? He said, you know, the next morning, my little boy went to school without a problem. He'd been fighting us for weeks. And, and he said also, uh, and incidentally, his wife delivered a healthy baby girl a week or so ago, right around Christmas time. And I said, what about your customers? He said, you know, I'm starting to see a few more customers. I said, Randy, these are all things we prayed about. These are God's answers to prayer. And it was an encouragement to me and it was an encouragement to him. That's how God wants us to, to bear each other's burdens, folks, in the body of Christ. And those are the kinds of things, those are the kinds of things he wants to be involved in on a day-to-day basis. God stands poised to, to help us to do that. Finally, we need to pray. We need to, to have faith to pray others into the kingdom. We know that uh, it's, it's easiest to pray and most powerful to pray when we can pray in the will of God, right? Well, we know what God's will is. He says in, in 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God wants everybody. And Jesus also said in John 6, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Well, whose job is it to pray 
that the Holy Spirit would draw people uh, to Christ. It's our job. It's our job. Just as somebody prayed for Holly Ordway, whom you don't know yet. Holly Ordway was a highly educated atheist who up until recently thought Christianity was both a historical curiosity and a blemish on modern civilization. To her, the Bible was a collection of folk tales and myths. Although she knew nothing about Christianity, she mocked Christians and belittled their faith, intelligence, and character. I've met people like this. I built myself a fortress of atheism, secure against any attack by irrational faith, said Ordway, and I lived in it alone. Although Holly wasn't looking for God, she began to be drawn to matters of faith. Do you sense that somebody was praying for Holly Ordway? One reason for interest, she explains, is that her naturalistic worldview was inadequate to explain the nature of reality in a coherent way. She realized it could not explain the origin of the universe, nor could it explain morality. After a series of conversations with a mentor and exposure to some helpful Christian writings, Ordway went from denying God to committing herself to Christ. She embraced St. Paul's forthright declaration that Christianity is based on the historical witnessed events of Christ's death and resurrection and that theology and philosophy offer real answers. Offering some advice to those who approach atheists, Holly says, really it doesn't matter whether we like Christianity or not. What matters is that it's true. That approach may not resonate with everyone, but that's what opened the door for me. Presented with the simple facts of the gospel, somebody prayed for her, the Holy Spirit worked, and suddenly it all made sense. The light came on. And that's the way it happens. George Mueller was another, some of you may recognize the name George Mueller, a great uh, evangelist in the 1800s in in England. Thousands of people came to Christ under the ministry of George Mueller. He's also the guy who who cared for over 10,000 orphans. This was before welfare and safety nets and and WIC and, and all of that stuff that's available now. None of that was available then. Poor children starved. Uh, Mueller took it upon himself to build orphanages, cared for over 10,000 children during the course of his life, uh, built 117 schools and educated over 120,000 poor children in in the 1800s during the time he lived. And the the amazing thing about it was he never asked anyone for anything. He he prayed. He asked God to meet his needs and God did every time. Crazy things would happen like the uh, bread truck would break down in front of the orphanage and uh, the, the driver would say, hey, I've got to offload all that stuff. Would you mind taking it? Oh, no, not, not at all. Thank you, Lord. You know, that kind of stuff. But Mueller wasn't always a man of God. In fact, uh, as a young man, he was a, a drunk, a thief, a con man, a liar, a womanizer, a criminal, and those were his good qualities. <laughs> After he came to faith in Christ as a result of attending a home Bible study, he began praying for his five no-good friends who had accompanied him on his various misadventures. And within the first few years, uh, three of those men came to Christ. Uh, the fourth one came to Christ after uh, he heard Mueller's last sermon, the last sermon he preached uh, as a pastor. Uh, he heard and he came to faith after that. The, the last one came to Christ two years after Mueller's death. George Mueller prayed for some of those men for 60 years. 60 years. I have a word from the Lord for, you, for some of you who have been faithfully praying for a prodigal son or daughter or someone you love, someone who is close to you but far from God. I have a word for you from the Lord, and that is keep on praying. Don't stop. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. How can we increase our faith to be more powerful in prayer? I'm on the home stretch. Hang with me here. First of all, spend time reading, studying, meditating on it, and memorizing the Word of God. This, this is uh, not welcome news. In a culture that you know, has 250 television channels that we can, we can choose from. Um, but 
uh, it is something that comes out of Scripture. Acts 20, 32, uh, Paul says, And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Remember that the, the strength of your faith, just as my faith in that rope was strengthened by my experience with it, the strength of your faith uh, will hinge on your knowledge of the word and your experience with God uh, in, his, in his word. Uh, taking in God's word will strengthen your faith by helping you to know him better and trust him more by understanding the way he works with people and, and also by uh, acquainting you with the hundreds and hundreds of promises that there are in God's word that he wants you to claim and to pray back to him so that he can give you those things. Uh, one of those promises is, uh, the second thing that we need to do is pray back those prayers and those promises to God. Um, if you look in uh, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, and Ephesians especially, those letters, you see the prayers that, that Paul prayed for the churches those are powerful prayers that we can pray for ourselves, for our families, for our churches. He says, for example, in Ephesians 3, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven or on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's what we just talked about. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's a prayer that we can pray for ourselves, for our families, for our church. We also need to find and, and write down and memorize God's promises to us that we can claim and pray back to Him, like. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply all our needs. What a great promise. That, uh, that applies to cars breaking down and jobs when you don't have a job and everything else that happens to us in life that, uh, that God wants to supply our needs in. And finally, we need to encourage each other with, with answered prayers. There are some great intercessors in this church. And there are some wonderful answers to prayers. We need to share those with each other, like I did with you this morning, and, and encourage each other with uh, the way that God is working in our lives. And finally, you probably figured out uh, by now if you've looked over that handout that, that uh, I've got homework for you. And what, what I'd like to challenge you to do is to strengthen your faith by over the next 60 days, read through the New Testament with me. Uh, this is the, the New Hope 60-day New Testament challenge. And uh, I've, I've broken down uh, the, new, the whole New Testament into 58 bite-sized chunks. You notice there are two grace days uh, in case you miss. But uh, you can finish it. We can do this. You can finish it in, in 60 days. And I think what you'll find, uh, if you're willing to, to challenge yourself in that way, it, it, is that you will know God better you will trust him more. Your faith will be strengthened and you'll notice that you're beginning to pray prayers and you'll begin to see answers to those prayers that perhaps you didn't see quite so quickly before. Your spiritual sensitivity will be alive to what God is doing around you in, in, the lives of, in your life and the life, lives of the uh, people around you. So I challenge you to do that and, uh, and if you're willing to do that and if as you uh, grow, as uh, God answers prayer or you have insights or there are positive impacts in your life that you feel like you can share, email them to me. I'll figure out a way to share those things uh, collectively as an encouragement. If you want to remain anonymous, that's, that's fine. Uh, nobody needs to know your name, but I'll share those things as an encouragement to the rest of the body of Christ here. Let's go to God in prayer, shall we, as we close? Father, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you for... Uh, all the provision that you've made for us, uh, none of which we're worthy of, Lord. We're, we're aware that it's all by grace. We ask you, as your disciples asked you, to, to strengthen our faith, increase our faith. And, and we ask that uh, you would work through your Holy Spirit in our lives uh, to, to uh, learn more about you, to know you more, to trust you more, 
uh, to ask you for more. And uh, we, we pray that uh, you'll, you'll teach us to wait expectantly to see, us, uh, to see you deliver those answers in our lives. We thank you for all you're doing in our lives. In, in Jesus' name, amen.